Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study with Pastor John. Tonight's study will be in the book of Colossians. We invite you to join us at 1 Oakley Avenue in North Providence, Rhode Island. This podcast is presented by The Way Ministries, supported by listeners like you. For donations, live videos, podcasts, and more, please visit www.thewayministriesri.org. Thank you and have a great day. Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study at Greystone. I want to thank everyone for coming out tonight to get a portion of God's Word. Amen. First and foremost, I'd like to thank our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All glory and honor goes to our risen Savior. We're just so grateful and thankful that he opened our eyes and gave us a new life. We're grateful for that, our first night at Greystone. We're very grateful and thankful for that, right? We have a nice night. All right, if you have a cell phone, please silence it so it doesn't disturb tonight's study, and we will start off with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're just so grateful and thankful, Lord, for this opportunity tonight, Lord, to gather together as your family to worship, honor, and glorify you, Lord, and learn more and more about you, Lord, and become more and more like you, Father. Thank you for giving us your word, Lord, the written word. Let it become the living word in our lives, Lord, and in our hearts and in our minds, Lord, so you can mold us and shape us into the image of your Son, Lord, so we can show the lost and dying world that we belong to you under your control now, not to control the enemy. And we're grateful for that, Lord. I pray for all the people here, Lord, as we go move forward and advance the kingdom, as we come under attack, that we persevere and have patience and endurance as we grow in grace and knowledge, Lord. And we're just so grateful for everyone here. And let everything we do tonight, as always, be led by your spirit, Lord, and not my flesh. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, we're going to stand. Brittany's going to come up and sing. And we are going to get started.
How's everybody doing tonight, okay? That was a great song. We all have resurrection power, amen, living on the inside. Even though our flesh tries to get in the way, we still have that power residing in each and every one of us to overcome that, amen? So grateful for that. So good to see everybody tonight in our new home, right, for the first time. It's only going to get better, eh? God grows the ministry. Just keep it all in prayer as the devil's going to try to attack us and discourage us and make us feel weak and weary, but he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world, amen? amen? We walk after the spirit and not after the flesh. All right, let's start in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tonight. We're going to continue our study in the book of Colossians. A great study we are in. The Holy Spirit is going to be taken over, so please be attentive to that. Try not to do anything to cause any distractions that might try to take the Spirit out of our hearts. Amen? Okay. She's got us at uh, verse 11, but that's not enough. Back up to uh, verse 6. Keep the context. Scripture. Verse 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So, we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not by seeing. How would a big amen for that? Yes, we are fully confident. And we would rather be away from these earthly bodies. Tell me about it, right? For then we will be at home with the Lord. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal, he's telling us that we have a goal now, is to please him, is to please God. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. So as believers in Jesus Christ, we will still get judged for what we do after we get saved. For the good or the evil we have done in this earthly body. In verse 11, it tells us we are God's ambassadors. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, he's saying because we understand what he just said in that verse before, that we all have to give an account for the good or evil after we get saved, right, to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves again to you again? No. We are giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. We know this ministry is all about the heart, right? Not about how spectacular it is. Christ is spectacular. Amen? If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. We are being controlled by another force, the force of God's unconditional love for us. That's what keeps us going in the Christian life. Amen? Controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. Now, wouldn't we all just love to say that we all die to our old life and none of it comes back again? 
That's what we believe that we have died to it, but we have this sinful nature in front of us that just doesn't want to die. But the Bible tells us we also believe that we have died to our old life. And he died for everyone so that those who receive his new life, here it is right here, will no longer live for themselves. That's how you know what's controlling you. If you're still living your life for yourself, you are not living for Christ. You're living for self, even though you're playing church and coming to church. It tells us here, he died for everyone so that those who receive this new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. What is he trying to say here? It was the written word, now it's the living word. We all have an experience that Christ is now trying to control us in our lives. You know that you, you go to work and you do things, and, and all of a sudden you start to think about, you know, what, what about God? What's God? Why does God have me here? You start to think of uh, things in the spiritual point of view instead of a worldly point, of a human point of view. That's how we know that we are... We have the Holy Spirit living in us. That's our ultimate um, know that we have him because something comes into us and say, you know, something's not sitting right with that. We have our convictions and our conscience is alive and he speaks to our hearts. And now we know that we have a purpose and there's a reason why we are wherever we are because God goes in front of us. Now it says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person or a new creation. The old life is gone, and a new life has begun. As born-again believers, we are starting a new life in Christ. Unfortunately, the old life is gone in God's eyes. He doesn't see that anymore. Unfortunately, we still do. It still comes up and grabs us every so often, because this sinful body can't inherit the kingdom. So we know that the only thing that we can do is live for God and what? Say no to the flesh. We have to make a choice every day to say no to the flesh, and yes to the Spirit. How about an amen for that? Until we go home to be with him, it's a choice we have to make. And he gives us not only a choice to do it, but also the power to carry that choice out and that decision out. But he doesn't take away our free will. You can still go back and be in your flesh as much as you want. And you, it's just a choice you have to make. And you will reap the, um, the consequences either way. And all this is a what? A gift from God. Thank you, Jesus who brought us back to himself through Christ. And look at he says now. Why did I get saved? And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So Jesus took the hit for us so we could be right with God and live a new life. Amen? No longer have to follow our old sinful nature if we choose not to. How about a big amen for that? Unfortunately, we still make some poor choices, don't we? Don't we wish God would just take away them choices and just make us like, all right, we're just going to do the right thing all the time, and that's it. Like, he doesn't make robots. But he is good. 
when you truly believe what happened to you at the moment of salvation, something happened to you, a transformation will take place in your heart. You will start to make changes in yourself that has nothing to do with you. You start to hear God's voice more and more and more, and not the voice of the flesh or the world, which is the devil. And it's not an audible voice, it's just the prompting of the Spirit. All right, let's go to Colossians. That was great scripture there. I could stay in that all night. That's perfect. All right, we are in Colossians chapter 1. And I know we left off in, I believe, 13, right? Yeah, we ended in 13, but I just want to just reiterate a couple of things about Colossians. As we keep the context here. All is not well in Colossae. Although Paul is thankful to hear about the faith of the Colossian believers and their love for all of God's people, he knows that false teaching threatens. A heresy is grown that promotes empty ritual, useless asceticism, and false mysticism. In order to encourage the Colossians to hold on to the truth, Paul refutes the heresy in a positive way. He shows them who Christ is. Christ as Lord of all, gives complete salvation, and he is sufficient for every need. And if Christ is all that matters, then he ought to be present in all we say, do, and think. So Paul encourages the Colossians to pursue a godly lifestyle befitting those who have been raised to new life in Christ, like it tells us in chapter 3, verse 1. Now, Ephesians can be described as focusing on the church of Christ Whereas Colossians focuses on the Christ of the church. Okay, Ephesians focuses on the body, Colossians on the head. Like Ephesians, the little book of Colossians divides neatly in half, with the first portion being doctrinal, chapters 1 and 2, and the second, practical, chapters 3 and 4. Paul's purpose is to show that Christ is preeminent, first and foremost in everything, and the Christian's life should reflect that priority. Believers are rooted in him, built up in him, dead in him, risen with him, alive with him, hidden in him, and complete in him, clothed in his love with his peace ruling in their hearts, and they are equipped to make Christ preeminent in every walk of life. Here are 12 words to think about today. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Chapter 3, verse 11. Notice how Paul expands that thought throughout his letter. In the space of a single paragraph, he lists at least eight evidences of Christ's preeminence. He created you, set you free, and forgave you. He is the image of God, and he existed before anything was created. He preceded all things, designed all things, and holds all things together. Amen. How about a big amen for that? In short, and he holds this church together, by the way. Amen. If it wasn't for him, this, everything would fall apart. Church is everything. But God works through us to keep it going. Amen? We are being the willing vessels. Okay? In short, he is all that matters. Okay? And that means he wants to be present in all you say, do, and think. Okay? Concentrate on your thought life today. Each time you finish a phone call, recite quietly to yourself a favorite Bible verse or stanza of a hymn about Christ. In Christ, we see God's purpose in making the world and in making us. 
How about a big amen for that? It's quite possible, probably even, that Paul wrote Ephesians and Colossians at the same time. Okay? Notice many of the striking similarities. Both letters were written from prison. Okay? Delivered by Tychicus, structured alike, and almost verbatim copies in some places. In Ephesians and Colossians, they're very similar. Okay, let's go to chapter 1 now, and we're going to start in verse, verse 9, and we're going to come down. Everybody with me so far here? All right, how about a smile? All right, that's my brothers and sisters. We get a lot to be happy about what God is doing in our lives and in the church, amen? We, we got great news from um, one of the people that have been coming here for years, Sunday we had, I believe, 40 people. And she said she hasn't seen 40 people in here in 20 years. How about that? And that's, and that's amazing. And that's nothing. They're just showing up and doing things, and that's just amazing, right? Thank you, Jesus, right? All glory goes to God. But we have to become the willing vessels. God brings the increase, amen, as we're faithful to what he tells us to do. One body, many parts. When one part suffers, all the parts suffer. When one part rejoices, all the parts rejoice. Amen? That's why it's so important to be part of it. Not on the outside, but on the inside. Amen? All right. Look at verse 9. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. What will that produce in you? By giving us spiritual wisdom and understanding, look at verse 10. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. How, cl how clear can it be? That's how we learn. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power, so that you will have all the endurance and patience you need. And you know it as well as I do, we need a lot of endurance and a lot of patience in this Christian walk. How about a big amen for that? And he's the one that empowers us. We have it. We already possess it. We don't have to ask for it. We just need to use it and believe it. Look what it says now. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father, he has enabled you to share in his inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. Now, the Colossians feared the unseen forces, okay, in verse 13, of darkness. But Paul says that true believers have been transferred from darkness to light, okay, from slavery to freedom, from guilt to forgiveness, and from the power of Satan to the power of God. How about a big amen for that? We've been transferred. We have been rescued from a rebel kingdom to serve the rightful king. Okay? Our conduct should reflect our new allegiance or our lifestyle. Verse 14. Who purchased our freedom. Some manuscripts add with his blood and forgave our sins. Okay, in verse 14, Paul was exposing a heresy in the Colossian church that was similar to Gnosticism. Gnostics valued the accumulation of knowledge, but Paul pointed out that knowledge in itself is empty. 
To be worth anything, it must lead to a changed life and right living. How about a big amen for that? His prayer for the Colossians has two dimensions. The first one, that they might have complete knowledge of God's will and have spiritual wisdom and understanding. And two, that their lives would produce every kind of good fruit, even as they learn to know God better and better. Knowledge is not merely to be accumulated. It should give us direction for living. Paul wanted the Colossians to be wise, but he also wanted them to use their knowledge. Knowledge of God is not a secret that only a few can discover. Okay, it is, an o- it is open to everyone who's willing to learn it. God wants us to learn more about him and also to put belief into practice by helping others. How do you put your belief into practice? By helping others. How about a big amen for that? Put it into practice. Okay? Sometimes we wonder how to pray for missionaries and other leaders that we have never met. Okay? Paul had never met the Colossians, but he faithfully prayed for them. Okay? His prayer teaches us how to pray for others, whether we know them or not. We can request that they, one, understand God's will, two, gain spiritual wisdom, three, honor and please God, four, produce every kind of good fruit, Right? Five, learn to know God better and better. Six, be strengthened with God's glorious power. Seven, have great endurance and patience. Eight, be filled with joy. And nine, give thanks always. All believers have these same basic needs. When you don't know how to pray for someone, use Paul's prayer pattern for the Colossians. Amen? Very simple. Pray for everybody. All of us need patience and endurance. All of us need a lot of room to grow. How about a big amen for that? How many of us are perfect? We're all... Perfection in the Bible is simply maturity, knowing how our limitations. We all have limitations, right? Thank you, Jesus, for filling in the gap for us. All right. Paul lists five benefits God gives all believers through Christ. Listen to me now, okay? The first benefit, he has enabled us to share in his inheritance, okay? It tells us that in 2 Corinthians 5.21. We already wrote, we just read that. Two, he has rescued us from Satan's kingdom of darkness and made us his children, all right? Three, he has brought us into his eternal kingdom. Ephesians 1, 5, and 6 tells us that. Four, he has purchased our freedom from sin and judgment with his blood. Like it tells us in Hebrews 9, 12 and 5, he has forgiven us all our sins. Ephesians 1, 7, thank God for what you have received in Christ. How about a big amen for that? Verse 15. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. What does that mean? The visible image of the invisible God. If you would want to know what God would be like if you could see him, you would take a look at Jesus and the way he lived his life, and then you would get an awesome and perfect uh, figure of what God would like be like. Perfect love in all directions. Amen? He is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Or he is the firstborn of all creation. Verse 16, for through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. 
such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. So now we know definitely for a fact that there's a world out there that we cannot see. And it's actually scary what's out there. Things Think about when you're just going along and these thoughts come into your head and you can't figure out where they came from. They're evil and demonic and lustful and it just pop, comes in out of the blue. Where did it come from? If we knew where it, if we could, if we could see it coming, we could deflect it before it enters. But it gets in there. So what does it do? Once we get in there, we gotta what? Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Because we know that the devil is picking at our brains again. He gets into our thought process, into our emotions. Makes us, oh, I'm too tired to go to church. I'm too tired to fellowship. I'm too tired. I'm this, I'm that. Oh, I'm doing too much. I'm being too churchy. I'm doing too this, too much for God. And, and, and holding everybody accountable for things. Judging them. And being short-tempered with people. Who do you think that is? That's the devil getting into our thought process again. Instead of, we can't see it. That's the problem. We can't see it until it's too late and the anger comes out of us and all of a sudden he possesses us. And we do and say things that we don't want to say. That's what possession is. So we know there is. Now look what it says. The unseen world. That's creepy. The unseen world. Even the unbelieving world sees the unseen world. You see them shows on TV like Tales from the Dark Side, Twilight Zone, and all that crazy stuff. Because they know there's a lot. There is something out there. There's a dark force out there controlling this world. That's why it's, there's so much evil in it. There's a dark force out there. And the people can't see it. Satan has blinded their minds. Okay, they can't see God. And they can't see what's wrong. They keep on going headfirst into it. We all did too. We all plunged into it. We all followed the devil at one time by default. We didn't even know it. I'm going to name him for that. Thank God he opened our eyes. Now what's our job? It's to help open other people's eyes. Not by beating them up with scripture, but showing them a new lifestyle. We don't live that way anymore. We don't hold people's sins against them. We don't retaliate with people. We keep our mouth shut. We're compassionate, loving, caring, full of patience and kindness. That's what people need to see out there. Christ. They don't need to see us beating people up with scripture. Oh, you're going to read the Bible. Oh, you're going to go to hell. Christians get all twisted with their how to witness to somebody. You witness to somebody by a changed life is a witness. A changed life. If God hasn't changed your life, you haven't witnessed anything. Now, in verse 16, okay, Everything was created through him and for him. Because the false teachers believed that the physical world was evil, okay, they thought that God himself could not have created it. Okay, if Christ were God, they reasoned, he would be in charge only of the spiritual world. But Paul explained that all the thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities of both the spiritual and physical worlds were created by and are under the authority of Christ himself. This includes not only the government, but also the spiritual world that the heretics were so concerned about. Christ has no equal and no rival. He is the Lord of all. Okay, in verses 15 and 16, this is one of the strongest statements about the divine nature of Christ found anywhere in the Bible. Jesus is not only equal to God, Philippians 2.6, he is God. 
John 10.30, as the visible image of the invisible God, he is the exact representation of God. He not only reflects God, but he reveals God to us. In John 1, 18, 14, and 9. He is supreme. He is supreme over all creation. He has all the priority and authority. He came from heaven, not from the dust of the earth. 1 Corinthians 15, 47. And he is Lord of all. Romans 9, 5. Revelations 1, 5, 17, 14. He is completely holy. Hebrews 7, 26 and 28. 1 Peter 1, 19. John 3, 5, and he has authority to judge the world. Romans 2, 16, 2 Corinthians 5, 10, 2 Timothy 4, 1. Therefore, Christ is supreme over all creation, including the spirit world. We, like the Colossian, we like the Colossian believers, must believe in the deity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is God, or our Christian faith is hollow, misdirected, and meaningless. This is a central truth of Christianity. We must oppose those who say that Jesus was merely a prophet or a good teacher. We must stand for the truth. Amen? <laughs> Colossians is a powerful, powerful book with a ton of truth in it. Okay? In verse 17, he existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. The very God we believe in holds this whole universe together. And we don't trust him enough with our lives. We doubt him and question God working in our lives. The one who created all this and keeps it all going. Don't you think he can keep you going and keep you right if you just trust and believe in him? What's the problem? We don't trust and believe it. It's unbelief that stops us from enjoying everything he died to give us. He holds everything together. We have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. He has this right here. He's got us in the palm of his hand. What is it? Every time we get attacked, we, we stop. We, we, we get fearful and afraid and full of anxiety and worry. And God says, no, that's the devil. You're not trusting in me. I hold all this together, and I'm holding you together. So stop falling apart. Stop falling apart. You're not trusting me. It's unbelief that makes you fall apart. You're a Christian. You're a soldier. You're united with Christ. You're his kid. You have nothing to fall apart over. He's building us back up again. You want to fall apart. That the unbelieving world is falling apart. Christians should never be falling apart. If you understand what Jesus did for you, it's unbelief and lack of trust. He gives us the power to do everything, to carry out his will, to work for the ministry, as tiring, as taxing as it is. He gives us the ability to keep on keeping on. Amen? And he gives us the desire to change. You look in the mirror and say, man, I need to change. There's something wrong with me. The unbelieving world does not change. Our perception changes. That's all the changes. You become a Christian, not everybody's going to think like you do. Not everybody's going to see things like you do. Our perception changes. We start to have empathy and pity and compassion on the people that are under the devil's trap. Not harsh and condemning. That's how you know what's controlling you. When Jesus is controlling you, all is well no matter what's going on. When the devil's controlling you, 
always full of fear. Next step, you don't know, you're angry at work, at home, you're, you're bitter, you're griping, you're complaining. One thing you know, if you're always griping and complaining, then you're letting the devil control you. When you're always full of peace and hope and joy, then you know the Holy Spirit's controlling you. It's simple, but hard. We can't, when we're in it, we can't see it. Instead of saying, no, stop, I'm going to get on my knees, submit to God, resist the devil, and he's got to go. Do we do that, though? Do we actually do it? When the time comes when we're fearful, full of anxiety and hatred and bitterness, do we drop to our knees in good humility and say, Lord, my flesh is getting the best of me again. Please, Lord, help me. Or do we keep fighting in the flesh and getting bitter and angry and resentful and letting the devil show up instead of Jesus? You can come to Bible studies till you go home to be with him. If you never listen and obey him, you'll never enjoy any of it. Okay. In verse 18, look at this. Not, let me just reiterate on 17. God is not only the creator of the world, but he's also its sustainer, okay? In him, everything is held together, protected and prevented from disintegrating into chaos. Because Christ is the sustainer of all life, none of us is independent from him. We are all his servants who must daily trust him to protect us, care for us, and sustain us. 18. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. One body, many parts. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the head. It says it right here. Which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead, or the firstborn from the dead. So what is he saying? He is the beginning, supreme all who rise. We what? Rise from what? The dead people in Adam to arise risen to a new life and a resurrected life in Christ. He was the first one to rise from the dead, defeating death. We're no longer dead in our sin nature anymore. We're alive in Christ now. How about a big game? We should rejoice over that though. See, this is what Christians are, oh no big deal. No, that's a big deal. That's a big deal that you have a resurrected life. Now, if you're not using it, that's up to you. Don't blame God. He's given everything you need to live out the life he's given you. You have everything you need. It's already been done at the cross. Whether you want to use it and let it, and what? Let it grow, learn it and let it grow into you and start using it and putting it into practice is up to you. That's a choice each and every one of us have to make. Amen? Like you chose to come to Bible study tonight. That was a choice you made. Now you know it as well as I do. You could have chose to stay home and sit on the couch. But you tell me after that how you would have felt later. So I should have went to church. Should have went to church. Right? No, so what do you do? You sit on the couch and you wallow in self-pity and beat yourself up over guilt. Because you didn't show up. Then you get further and further away from God. Then you get bitter and start snapping at people because of your own mistakes. How about a big amen for that? That's just what happens. But when you come to church, you leave more fulfilled, more full of life, and when at the end of the day, there's no sorrow added to it. There's joy. I'm so glad I went to church. The devil didn't want me to go, but I pushed through and went. I pushed through the forces of darkness and entered into the kingdom of light tonight. And we have to do that, what? Every day that's a choice a believer has to make. Protected by the grace of God in his church. 
We're under his protection right now. That's why we had to keep coming here, to keep that new heart, that new heart being used. Because if we don't keep coming to church and reading our Bible and fellowship with believers, the old heart comes back. And we start getting in the flesh again. But when we fellowship with other believers, our spiritual disciplines, the new heart gets what it needs. It gets its anti-rejection medicine, and it grows. Amen? And God nourishes it in his house, because Jesus is the head of the body, which we're in the body right now. Amen for that, right? Now look what it says. In verse 18, it says, Christ is supreme over all who rise from the dead. Jesus was raised from death, and his resurrection proves his lordship over the material world. All who trust in Christ will also defeat death and rise again to live eternally with him, like it tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. 1 Thessalonians 4, 14. Because of Christ's death on the cross, he has been exalted and elevated to the status that was rightfully his. In Philippians 2, 5, 11, because Christ is spiritually supreme in the universe, surely we should give him first place in all our thoughts and activities. How about a big end on that? His resurrection puts new life in us. That's what it does. We have resurrection power. How about a big amen for that? Amen. Resurrection power. Amen. See, this thing, living on the inside. It's living on the inside. Jesus is living in us. But we also have the flesh still living in us. Remember you said it? There's another force inside me that makes me do the things I don't want to do. It's sin living in me that does it. I can't really understand myself, he said in Romans 7. I want to do the right thing, but something keeps making me do wrong. So he agrees. Paul agrees that there was another force living within him, in his cell structure, that kept him from really obeying God fully. It kept him. It kept him in bondage. And he was been saved, he was saved for 28-something years. So all of us, look, we've got to give ourselves a break when we fall short. And please, give other people a break when they fall short. None of us are perfect. Please. We're in a hospital. This church is a hospital. You're in a hospital and you're recovering from what? Sin. The disease of sin. And we offer that, right? And on the Monday, you know what should we should be calling it? Monday night discipleship. That's what it is. It's recovery in discipleship. We're recovery from sin and we're being discipled into Christ. That's what it's all about. It's not drugs and alcohol. That's just a symptom of what we have. It's sin. All of us need that. All of us need to what? Live a disciplined, discipled life in Christ. And we offer that here. And ones who use it are benefiting from it. They're actually changing. The old life is dying and the new life is showing up. Because they're putting to death the things that were holding them in bondage. By bringing them to the surface, to the light, and letting Jesus just get rid of them for us. But no, Christians got to stay in darkness. I'm saved, I'm good. And what do they do? They go around living in the flesh. They can never really glorify God. Because they can't change and grow. And we offer that here. Thank God, right? Everybody needs recovery. We're all recovering from sin. All right. Verse 19. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. The only way God could live in Christ is to go into a sinless, spotless land. Jesus had to be sinless so God can go into him and live in him. We have to be sinless so God can come and live in us. 
So when Jesus comes in as you accept him, the sins that are hidden in your heart, God can't go in there until you get them out and cleanse them. Then he comes in and he takes possession of that part of your heart, and then you get cleansed. But when you have hidden sins in you, God can't live there until you get rid of them. And that's why you can't experience the fullness of your salvation. Because there's dark corners in there that need to get cleaned. And they have to be what? Confessed and brought to the light so they can die in the light of exposure. Amen? So you'll never really experience it until you do that. That's why confession is so important. Okay. In verse 19, by this statement, Paul is refuting the Greek idea that Jesus could not be human and divine at the same time. Christ was fully human. He was also fully divine. Christ has always been God and always will be God. When we have Christ, we have all of God in a human form. Don't diminish any aspect of Christ, either his humanity or his divinity. Honor him all the way around. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. Through him, he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth. How? By means of Christ's blood on the cross. There is no forgiveness or remission of sin without the shedding of blood. Christ's death in verse 20 provided a way for all people to come to God. It created, it cleared away the sin that keeps us from having a right relationship with our Creator. This does not mean that everyone has been saved, but that the way has been cleared for anyone who will trust Christ to be saved. How about an amen for that? We can have peace with God and be reconciled to Him by accepting Christ who died in our place. Is there a distance between you and the Creator? Be reconciled to God. Come to Him through Christ. Each and every day we have to make that decision. Look at verse 21. This includes you, who were once far away from God. Why were we, it says, just, why were we far away from God? It tells us why we were. You were his enemies. Why? Separated from him by our what? Evil thoughts and actions. So, listen, Christian, as a Christian, your evil thoughts and actions separate your fellowship with him now, too. That's what breaks the fellowship with him. Now, verse 21. Because we were alienated from God, we were strangers in, to his way of thinking and were enemies, okay? Sin corrupted our way of thinking about God. Wrong thinking leads to sin. Let me say that again. Wrong thinking leads to sin, which further perverts and destroys our thoughts about him. When we were out of harmony with God, our natural condition was to be totally hostile to his standards, like it tells us in Romans 1, 21 to 32. If you want to go there, you read about that, but more on the perverted thinking of unbelievers. Look at verse 22. Yet now... He has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result of what happened, listen what it says. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. Listen now. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Do you see what he did? He cleansed you of everything. Past, present, and future, he's never going to see it again. This is what keeps us grounded in loving the Lord. Now look what it says. 
No one is good enough to save himself or herself. We want to live eternally with Christ. We must depend totally on God's grace. Okay? This is true whether we have been murderers or honest, hard-working citizens. We have all sinned repeatedly, and any sin is enough to cause us to need to come to Jesus Christ, right, for salvation and eternal life. Apart from Christ, there is no way for our sin to be forgiven and removed. Okay, in verse 22, in order to answer the accusation that Jesus was only a spirit and not true human being, Paul explained that Jesus' physical body actually died. Jesus suffered death fully as a human so that we could be assured that he died in our place. Jesus faced death as God so we can be assured that his sacrifice was complete and that, the, that he truly removed our sins. Now you have to remember that all your sins are wiped out. And this is what it says in verse 23. Look, before we close. But you must continue to believe this truth. See, you have to believe that all your sins are forgiven and washed away so you can what? Not commit them anymore. You have to believe that, that they're gone. It's unbelief that keeps us doing it. And stand firmly in it. Don't drift away. How many of us drift away from that truth? How many, people, how many of us still beat ourselves up when we sin? We still do, right? We're not believing what he said. They're not here anymore. He doesn't see him. Why do we still beat ourselves up? That's why you can't experience it. It's unbelief. You don't believe it. That's all it is. It's unbelief. That's what kept the nation out of the promised land. Unbelief, and that's what's going to keep us out of that state of mind. If it's unbelief. You must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you receive when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. All right, we're going to stop there in verse 23. Thank you for letting me share that. We're going to close, and then we're going to sing. Dave, you want to come up and close up? Lord, money, Father, thank you for another great message that you gave it to us. Thank you for allowing us to put Christ first as we struggle to deal with our flesh. Thank you for giving us the endurance and perseverance, because that's certainly something we cannot do in ourselves. Thank you for giving us Christ who died for us. Help us to understand your forgiveness and your love so we can give forgiveness and love to other people so they can see Christ through us and actually understand who he was and what he did for all of us. And I pray these things in the name of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks, David.